Hey listeners, thank you for tuning in for the fourth episode of Inspire. Uh, today's guest speaker is John Kamak of the Gym Rat Challenge. Hey John, what's going on? Not too much, Drew. Just happy to be with you here from the uh, Gym Rat Bunker. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So listeners, a little background on John. So John has always been a gym rat in his own words. His socks were always sweaty growing up on the blacktop inside a hot gymnasium, wherever it would have been. Um, those playing days in those sweaty socks uh, landed him at D3 Plattsburgh University, where he was a player. Um, in 1992, he led the country in three-point percentage. Uh, after his graduation, he stayed at Plattsburgh working on his master's for three years. Uh, he was also a coach with the basketball team there. Um, he, his master was in business. After his coaching days, he pursued the business world and got into the IT industry. Uh, he was hired by a alumni of Plattsburgh who was asked also a very big basketball junkie, as you could say, and we'll actually get into that a little bit later in the conversation. Um, during his business career, his boss did want him to keep some of his basketball roots. He ran a lot of clinics, camps uh, with Leo Rottens, who was a former first-round pick of the 76ers. Uh, and then in 1998, he founded the Gym Rat Challenge. Uh, it's the largest event on the East Coast. It's one of two events nationally recognized by USA Basketball, and it's also a junior NBA qualifier. On top of all that, it's PhD basketballs. It's one of our favorite tournaments to attend every season. It's up in beautiful Saratoga. So, John, thanks for all that, and thanks for creating a great tournament for me to bring my family to each year. My pleasure. Happy to, uh, happy to do it. And if you need a minute to take a breath, go ahead and do that, man. That was a lot. You know, I'm getting used to it in these podcasts only being the fourth episode. So, uh, you know, hopefully it starts flowing a little bit more each day. Um, so we're going to jump into some questions here, John. Um, as a player, you're the one that mentioned the sweaty socks. I believe you. Um, you know, the way you've set up this tournament up in Saratoga, the way it runs, I know there's a lot of sweat and hard work that goes into that. But what was your drive and inspiration as a kid growing up, as a player in college? What was your drive and inspiration? Well, I, I tell people a lot of times, you know, people that come and work the Gym Rat Challenge or even teams that come and compete, uh, that uh, in order to be successful here, you kind of need to have the mutated Gym Rat gene flowing through your blood. And I think for me, um, I, I came out of that, I came out of the womb that way. So I think I was uh, born into uh, the Gym Rat world. Uh, my father was a college coach. He actually um, worked at the, originally was at the Division three level at Potsdam State University back in um, their heyday, which was in the, in the early 80s. Uh, I know that, Drew, you spent some time in Iona, and maybe you're familiar with his name, but the guy that my father worked for was a guy named Jerry Welsh, who later, after 28 years at Potsdam, coached at Iona for a little bit. But um, Jerry... Um, built the winningest program in the decade of the 80s at any level. That's where Potsdam was. And um, it really was, for all intents and purposes, a Division One program and a Division Three body in terms of the kind of talent that he had there. Um, so my father was on Coach Welsh's staff for 10 years and was with him for three Final Fours and uh, national championship. And um, I literally went to grade school on campus at uh, Potsdam because back then all the state universities in, in New York were kind of like a, um, a laboratory for future teachers. 
Um, so I literally would be in school every day, get done, grab my basketball out of my little cubby and dribble across campus and spend two and a half hours at uh, Maxie Hall at Potsdam State. Um, so I, I really say I was raised by you know, two parents who had very different styles that did their jobs well and then um, a, uh, a large number of college basketball players. So that's what really drove me and that's kind of set my adrenaline level from there and from that point I'd play anywhere that I could play and anywhere I could sneak my way into a pickup game uh, with people that were older than me and bigger than me and eventually uh, you know you learn to find all the open doors doors that don't quite lock right in uh, in any gym but I I grew up in a unique spot because anybody who knows where Potsdam is you're about 20 minutes from the Canadian border uh, on the very northern edge of New York State you are, there is no easy way to get there uh, and crawl, for, you know, in reality, you're in the middle of nowhere, but there are four universities within a 10-mile radius, so you have access to things that you wouldn't normally have access to, including great facilities and college athletes, so um, that was kind of my growth pattern from a very young age. Well, it's good to have those facilities up where it snows a lot, so I'm sure that was helpful. You know, there's plenty of that, for sure. No, absolutely. It's, you know, my, my kids are five and, you know, two and they're starting to, and my daughter came to the first overnight tournament with me, sat the bench and they're both loving to pick up the basketball. We've been doing a lot of it being home the past, you know, 40, 50 days. So, you know, having young kids, it's always fun to hear, you know, grew up in the gym and a lot of my friends that are coaches at the high school level have their kids kind of, they hang out there and they, they do turn into little gym rats. So it's, uh, you know, it's kind of a family. Oh, it, it is a, oh, it's a great way to grow up. And it's, you know, it's funny that, uh, you know, some of my father's former players um, come back. They've had teams that have, they've brought back to the Gym Rat Challenge or their own kids have played in the Gym Rat Challenge or some of them come back and work the Gym Rat Challenge and still, you know, the same stories are told when I was, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. We lived in an apartment complex where some of the players lived and I would be knocking on doors trying to get those guys to come out and do, you know, ball handling drills with me. <laughs> yeah. Let's see who could do more repetitions of the spider drill in you know, six. That's I think a, I drove them crazy, but it, it was a uh, was a great way to grow up. No, that, that's awesome. It's a great little story there. So, and you, you now you're a player. You stick around after graduation. At, you're uh, at Plattsburgh. You know what types of kids were the ideal fit for the program? Philosophy of a, a nice Division three program. What? Well, I think that's a really good question. I can even speak to that. You know, uh, the game was very different. You know, I'm I'm 50 years old, so. You know, my college days are, uh, you know, we're talking about roughly 30 years ago, and the, the game has changed. You know, like I, I was talking to somebody today, my, my you talked about leading the country in three-point shooting in 1992, um, and that same year, I also set uh, school records at Plattsburgh for most three-pointers made in a season and most three-pointers made in a career. And I look back on those numbers now, and they're almost laughable because the three-pointer then was a, it was a luxury right. and now it's the first three options in anybody's offense you know so you know the, the, the single season record 30 years ago is what you know five kids on a, a quality team will have you know uh in a single year but i i think you know rather than speak to exactly the kind of kids that we look for because that's different you know in every every place i think just college recruiting in general and even at you know at that level i think a lot of kids and a lot of parents still don't realize how good you have to be 
to play at the college level, to play college basketball at any level, from right. you know your local junior college to Duke. Um, you remember of, of of the hundreds of thousands of kids that play high school basketball every year, less than three percent of those kids are going to play college basketball at any level. Right. Again, from your local junior college to Duke. So you know, getting a scholarship is great, um, and that puts you at, at you know within the top one percent of all the players in the country. Um, and a lot of things go into that. You have to be skilled. You have to. Uh, have the right physicality, you have to have the right mentality, and you've got to be in the right place at the right time. Um, but, you know, I think some kids have the false perception that a scholarship is the only way, you know, to go, and that playing at a lesser level is, um, you know, provides less credibility. I mean, if you're a scholarship player, that's great. We've seen, you know, some of the greatest players on the planet roll through the Jim Rat Challenge, from Steph Curry and Brianna Stewart on down, uh, but we've also seen a lot of kids come through that were great players who had great careers in the Division Three level. Mm-hmm. And I, I think you 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 have to be ready to take advantage of your opportunities. And we tell kids and parents all the time: find the best fit. Yep. You have a good four years. Uh, you know, don't be looking for the absolute highest level where it might be such a reach that you don't play. You know, if if you want that, then that's fine. But if you want to contribute, you know, I, I, you. You know, we all watch a lot of basketball the, over the winter time, and hopefully we can again this winter. But you watch a lot of Division One games. I see some in person. I see a lot, a lot on TV. And you see some Division Three games. Like I watched. Um, you know, I know you're in Fairfield, so you know, and here at Albany we see Siena. We see a lot of teams in the MAC. Mm-hmm. We see that level. A lot of really, really good players. But I also watched RPI at the Division Three level. They won 21 games in a row this year. They were right. outstanding. I watched. Swarthmore, who was the number one team in the country. I watched Ithaca College, who gave Swarthmore everything they could handle into the second round of the NCAA tournament. I think a lot of these kids need to, you know, if you're a kid who you thinks you're a college basketball player, but you haven't really gotten the right guidance yet, go to a Division three game with yeah. good Division three teams, sit in the front row, and then ask yourself honestly, can I contribute at this level? Right. Um, because that, that's a higher level of player, play than, than most people think. And what a lot of people don't realize with that, you know, our pro being our program being around for close to twelve years now, coming up to you for eight or nine, some of a lot of our players that end up playing at that Division three level are all league kids in Connecticut. Um, you know, you had JJ Full from Trumbull that's now at uh, Roger Williams. You had Zach Devitian who played for four and he's up having a great career at Western New England with Colin Tab. You know, the 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 importance of and how hard it is to be a college athlete, as you said, at any level is surreal and you know even here in Connecticut Albertus Magnus had a kid graduate probably about five years ago he was division one talent and scored almost 3,000 points Ray Askew I don't know if you remember the name he played a career in New Haven yeah yeah and and he and those are the types of kids that you sometimes get and I know Albertus Magnus with um, Mitch Oliver he's very good at getting division one players at the D3 level um oh you know what Growing up, that's what we—that's what I saw come through. You, you saw Division One transfers. I mean, a lot of kids, you know, uh, being a college athlete is hard, and, and the the commitment from a college athlete uh, at the Division Three level is still the same commitment that you're making at the Division Two or Division One level. You know, those coaches are paid to win as well. There's no nobody gets into coaching and says, you know, I really want to run a mediocre program right. and that'll make me happy. No, right. they want they want to win, and there are plenty of players if you look across. The, the 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 country that are Division One 
athletes that play at a different level. There can be a lot of reasons for that. It could be because they were a bit of a tweener. could be because coming out of high school they were lacking a particular skill. could be size. could be academics. could be some other kind of baggage. Um, you know, there's a lot of reasons. But I, I think the biggest thing is find a place where you fit and where you can have a career that you look back on and enjoy. And, and, and fit's the biggest thing, and I think that's, out of all that, you, you got to be happy where you're at in order to be successful doing what you're doing academically and on the basketball court. So, um, so after your coaching days at Plattsburgh, you're hired by an alumni of Plattsburgh who turns out has a very interesting background in basketball. And when you shot this over to me in email, it was hard for me to believe. Um, but your boss was high school teammates with Pat Riley. He played for the, right. great, the great Bobby Knight. And he was on the right. same team and actually played ahead of a point guard by the name of Mike Krzyzewski. Uh, um I, I still can't believe it as I read those. Those are three of the biggest names in the basketball world. Now, what were some of the best conversations you had with him when you kind of started finding this out, being a basketball junkie yourself? Well, some of those, I, I, I'm not sure if I have authorization to share, but I, there's <laughs> definitely some. I, I first met my former boss. He, he uh, like I said, like you, know, you said, uh, went to West Point and then uh, ended up leaving West Point and then was at Plattsburgh, so I had met him, I think I was a sophomore at Plattsburgh when I met him in an alumni game, and he scared the hell out of all of us, because, you know, you're a college student, you get dragged to watch the alumni game, you don't really want to be there, you've got a game later on that night, and this guy was, you know, in his 50s, and, you know, diving on the floor for loose balls, and taking offensive charges, and diagramming plays in timeouts, and we were a little worried he was going to pull us out of the floor, so... And when the, uh, my, my head coach, Larry Cowan, in, introduced me um, to, to this gentleman, I, I, you know, I, I was impressed. And he knew I wanted a career in business um, and kind of stayed in touch that way. And um, he interviewed me and uh, <laughs> told me I need to be fluent in two languages. I'm barely fluent in English. So I was a little concerned. And he said, uh, English and basketball. And I said, good. I'm good with both of them. But he... Yeah, that's a really unique lineup. I don't know that Coach K would give the same scouting report on the depth chart, but that's that's what I had firsthand. But I think, um, you know, he's coming. You could argue that those are three of the greatest names in the history of coaching. Uh, and he's come in contact, direct contact with all of them. Um, and he's got a lot of great. Bobby Knight stories because when Bob, when he coached when Bobby Knight coached him Bobby Knight was 23 years old and he was the head coach at the division at division one level at uh, at West Point but I think it's probably safest for me to tell a firsthand story and I had uh, you know I I met some of my former bosses colleagues you know or, or former basketball teammates and and coaches over time um, I'm not gonna. Uh, pretend that I, I, I have uh, ongoing rapport with them, but I was fortunate enough to meet Coach Riley on more than a few occasions. And I think the one that impressed me the most, because you, you know, here's a, a Hall of Famer and architect of one of the greatest professional teams of, of all time. Um, and but he was a he was a hard nosed kid from Schenectady, New York. At the end of the day, and. Remember, I got a phone call. This probably goes back 20 years. 
and I was working in a sales and marketing capacity at the, uh, uh, with this IT consulting firm, and my boss, a guy named Paul Heiner, uh, called me, and, this, and he had spent you know most of his career working for General Electric, uh, so he you know and he was Bobby Knight raised, and so you know he was he he, he drove things pretty hard, and he called me that afternoon and said, "What are you doing?" You know, when you're talking to a Bobby Knight disciple who spent 20 years with GE and is your is the CEO of the company you're working for, that's a loaded question. So you know, I didn't want to say, hey, just hang around in the office. So I told him I had a little downtime, but I was, you know, at sales calls later on in the day. And he said, okay, well, come down to Brother Dom's, which was a, a restaurant in, you know, not exactly a lovely part of Schenectady. Um, and I didn't ask any questions. I just got in my car and bro- drove the Brother Dom's. I pulled into Brother Dom's and sitting in this bar slash restaurant that was empty at this point in the day was um, my boss, some of his former high school teammates at Linton High in Schenectady. And uh, at the corner of the bar was Pat Riley. And Riley just kind of blended in with the rest of the guys and he was holding court. And uh, we sat there for a while and I just kind of watched things. I was... 30 year old, 30 years old at the time, kind of invited into this as a spectator. And I watched these guys tell old stories over and over again. And, um, after about, I'd say we were there for about an hour, a guy walked in who just came off of a construction site. Obviously he was dirty. He still had his vest on and he came into what was his local pub and he was going to order a beer. And the guy was sitting next to me, ordered his beer, looked down to the end of the bar, saw Riley. And he um, said something to the bartender, then went to reach in his pocket, said something else to the bartender, and left. I, I didn't know what happened. But the guy showed up about 10 minutes later, still in his construction clothing, and he said to me, because he thought I was, you know, I, I was with this group, meanwhile I was just kind of a spectator, he said to me, can I buy him a drink? And I said, who? And he said, Riley, can I buy him a drink? And I said, "Hey, man, you're 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 asking the wrong guy. I'm, you know, I'm 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 here, but I'm just kind of paying attention to what's what's going on." And one of uh, Coach Riley's best buddies yelled over to me, he said, what, "What does he want?" And they said, "He wants to know if he can buy the coach a drink." And at that point, Riley, who you know he's uh, you know he's Mister Haberdashery, right? Well, right. He's in the Hall of Fame at this point. Um, he comes around the corner of the bar to shake hands with this guy who is a construction worker. And the guy nervously turned to Pat Riley and said, um, I grew up, I lived in the same house you lived in on Delmont Ave in Schenectady in Goose Hill. And I just want to be able to tell my buddies that I bought you a beer. And Riley said to him, I'll do you one better. He said, you grew up on, you lived in the same house in Delmont? Yeah, and then they talked about the house and where Riley and his brothers used to measure how tall they were getting, that, the whole kind of thing. And then Riley said to him, I'm going to do you one better. You go back and tell your buddy that I bought you a beer. And he brought him over, had him sit next to him, and bought the guy a beer. And I thought to myself, that was a really cool moment. You know, you, you see those from time to time. Then I had to get up and leave on my sales call. And I hadn't really turned around for about an hour and a half. When I turned around, the bar was packed. And when I got out front, there were, you know, where there were probably 25 people on their cell phones trying to get their buddies to come over and see Riley sitting at the corner of the bar. So um, good to see that guys at that level of success still had that hometown pride in them. 
Wow, that is really interesting. It, it is, as you said, the home when guys go back with that are famous and they go back to their, you know, hometowns oh, and, they're, yeah. and they're very genuine. Especially from a guy Pat Riley, who is Pat Riley. You know, he, he his name speaks for itself. You hear that name, it's around basketball, playing career, coaching career, what he's done in the NBA, what he did in college. You know, it, it's it's incredible. And that's a guy who's quietly given back to his hometown too. Like I don't want to purport like. Like, I know Coach Riley. I've met him a couple times, uh, but I know where he's from uh, and what he does. And, and, you know, anytime you're at that level, you know, people are going to criticize this or that. But I've seen what that guy has done for his hometown quietly to make sure that, um, you know, things are, there's still a source of pride there. No, that, that that's outstanding because it is, you know, upstate New York's you know, unique and these guys that are continuously giving back to their hometowns. We have a couple here locally in Connecticut that you kind of see pop up. You got the guys like Drew Brees who just gave $5 million to New Orleans for the, you know, due to the health epidemic that's going on. Like, those are the guys that kind of stick out and, you know, under... Is Drew Brees... Is Drew Brees a Connecticut kid? No, no, he's not. But I was just bringing up, like, staying on topic with Pat Riley giving back. You know, Drew Brees, that town, you know, brought him in. And ever since he's been in New Orleans, you know, with his family, he helped out with Katrina. Now he donates $5 million, you know, to the health epidemic. You know, these these famous athletes, you know, look at LeBron's doing with the school he created back in Akron and the amount of scholarships he's given out to his hometown. It's just, you know. Yeah, when, there's, when, right. There's another, yeah, there's another guy who doesn't get enough credit. Right. For what he does and how he handles his business. I remember, well, this is, I guess is another little bit of a Riley story, but when Riley was with, when he was the president of the Heat, we went down, um, you know, with some, when I was working in the IT, IT world, we went down, took some clients down to a, it was an Eastern Conference Finals game. And LeBron was with the Heat and the way they were playing the Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. And um, it was, you know, because my boss knew Riley, we were, you know, we had VIP location. Let's just say this. That was the game. I can't remember what year it was, but Rajon Ronda went for 47 against the Heat, and he was killing them at halftime. And about a minute before halftime, Riley got up and he left his seat, which was near where we were sitting, and he walked into the locker room. And you could tell he went towards the locker room. And I said to somebody, where's he going? And they said he's probably going to give his opinion on the first half performance. So we got up and went into this kind of private suite. It was the, it was, I think it was Riley's personal, you know, presidential suite for halftime. And we walked in there and there were a bunch of people in there and, uh, you know, people that were uh, handing us food and drink. And there were a couple people in there with the last name of Trump. And, um, you know, we were introducing the clients around a little bit. I was with a couple of Coach Riley's you know, uh, high school teammates and about halfway through the halftime break, he came walking in that presidential suite. And of course, everybody wants to shake his hand and, you know, um, you know, uh, maybe take a photo with him or whatever the case may be. But the, this is another hometown thing that impressed me. The first guys he went to were his high school buddies. The first guys. And my boss wasn't able to make that trip. And he always referred to him as Paulie. All right. Uh, and he, he walked up to the other guy we were with, and first thing he said, he's got this room full of dignitaries. He walked up to the other guy we were with, and he shook his hand, and he looked around, and he said, where's Paulie? Like, he really just wanted to talk to his high school buddies after his team just had a poor first-half performance. You know, I, I know, when, when, you, when you see that these guys, 
even with all the success that they have, are still that grounded and right. care that much about the people that they went to war with as kids. Uh, you know, to me, that's that's good stuff. Those close friends, the ones that are getting the late night phone calls to vent, and you can talk to, and you know, it's not getting released out to the public to you know the media outlets, anything along those lines. But you know, staying with your roots is very important. It's something that you know I believe in, and I'm sure everyone does with their friends. So now, in, in your bet, you know, while you're still doing the IT, going to some cool games, getting to meet some really cool people along the way, you were running your camps with Leo Rotten's who, as I mentioned before, was a first-round pick, I think, uh, right around the time that they won the championship with Dr. J. Um, what was your thought process um, with the camps? And, you know, obviously they were successful. Um, you guys were doing a great job with it. And then during that time is kind of when you thought about the Gym Rat Challenge. What was your thought process there? Yeah, at that point, camps, you know, for all of us that were, you know, Gym Rats long ago, you know, you played – you went, to, you, know, you played pickup games, but the the most organized summertime basketball you got was at camps. You know, that's that's what we did, um, and we were doing them all over the place. And like you said, my felt like my socks never got dry in the summer, and I was happy with that. You know, you're a college player or whatever is going on, and you're you're going from place to place to place. So, um, and it's a good way to stay in shape. So that was kind of my summer job in college, and then that evolved into as I got into a business career a way for me to still stay attached to my basketball roots. But I felt as time went on that the camp thing was becoming oversaturated. You had everybody from, you know, the local modified coach to Michael Jordan that were running, you know, camps. And it, it uh, while the teaching was great at the time, it just it was evolving in a direction that I, I thought was um, oversaturated. So I really looked at the, you know, at the time that I was coaching, and that's when these organized summer tournaments were just starting to happen. So I thought that was really the, the next best way for kids to get some exposure in an organized way. Um, like I, you know, I remember as a kid, and even as a college kid, we played pickup games. I mean, we used to go inside prisons. We'd go inside prisons and play when I was in college. We'd go inside to prisons and play inmate teams. But that's probably a whole other interview. But um, <laughs> the... You know, so I looked at these tournaments and said, that, that, you know, like any business, there's people that are doing it right and people that are doing it wrong. Uh, so I kind of took the approach, you know, that uh, Dave from Wendy's took, right? So Dave from Wendy's, Dave Thomas who founded Wendy's, he went out before he founded Wendy's and he sat, spent three years sitting in Burger King and McDonald's and seeing the things that made people unhappy about fast food restaurants. So, you know, I was a punk gym rat kid. I knew things that made me happy as a player, but what are things you're going to make coaches and college coaches and parents happy? So we kind of looked at that, and then we decided to launch the Gym Rat Challenge in 1998 with the thought that we always wanted this to be a quality place uh, where people could be a part of a um, professional uh, event and um, a professionally run event and have a chance to compete. And we started it in 1998. I think we had 96 teams. And I thought, this, you know, this is great. And it's a way for me to stay in contact with my roots. And now we're at 540 teams. And it's become the largest event of its kind in the eastern United States. Uh, and I'm proud of what we built. And I'm proud of the opportunities that we've given for kids there. And we try to do it in a way that's, you know, different than just showing up at a tournament and playing. You know, we really pride ourselves on providing opportunity and services that go well beyond the dates of the event.
You, you've done a really good job branding it as a, a one-time tournament. And I think the fact that it's it's one tournament for boys, one tournament for the girls, it's your sole focus. Um, and you have the attributes where these kids have to log on and create accounts that help them on the exposure side, um, that give college coaches access to see who they are, where they go to high school. Um, you know, again, we've had a lot of success with our players going up there and, you know, that weekend talking with a lot of coaches, I've built a lot of my connections with, you know, college coaches through your tournament. So it's helped a coaching network along with the player network. So, you know, the branding you do and the professionalism that goes with it, I think helps, you know, that tournament in all aspects. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, we're, we're drawing two, the non-live period event. We're drawing over 200 college coaches here over here, you know, so, and, and there's a, there's a credibility point with it. Now we've, we, we stream all the games. So division one coaches can watch, you know, even though they can't be there in person, they can watch. And then, you know, we, we did launch, as you said, the Jim Rat recruiting index six years ago, you know, as, as an answer to some of the, you know, what I would call, uh, less than scrupulous um, online recruiting ventures that are out there that are really either leading kids and parents down a, a negative path or to a path to nowhere. So that was great. And now we're getting ready. Ironically enough, you know, we had prepped to launch that, the, the next generation of that this year. And we've been working with, partnered with uh, uh, Tom Herder, who he and I played in the old Empire State games a hundred years ago, Tom's son Kevin uh, was Mr. Basketball in New York State a few years back, and then went to Maryland and was a first-round draft pick of the Atlanta Hawks. So Kevin, uh, Kevin's dad, Tom, and I are working on the next generation of the Jim Rat Recruiting Index that we really hope to launch within the next month. And with that, we're taking it even to another level because we're going to give kids, you know, that 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 vast recruiting ocean is hard to navigate, and especially if parents and kids have never been through it before. There's a lot of people that just want to blow sunshine up your backside and tell you how great you are. And you have kids that are waiting for a call from Roy Williams or Gino or Emma that's never going to come. Um, so what we've developed is a system that is going to allow kids and parents to have real-time access to real coaches um, and get real feedback. Um, so we've got an advisory board full of uh, former, they've got to be retired, or coaches that are in between jobs college coaches have spent a lifetime evaluating players and offering scholarships and roster spots that are going to give these kids real-time evaluations based on, you know, uh, film view and other inputs that they put into the gym rat system. Um, so we're excited about that. And, and uh, you know, like I said, ironically, we've got a lot of kids that are sophomores and juniors that are very nervous right now because they're missing this whole summer period. So we had planned to launch this before the whole COVID-19 thing hit but it's going to be even more kind of timely because we're going to give people a, a virtual opportunity to talk with highly credible sources that are going to give them uh, honest feedback rather than just telling them things that they want to hear in order to extract money from the parent's wallet. Right. They, they need that honest feedback. Sounds like a very unique and updated system to the college recruiting world. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing this launch and hopefully it can help, um, you know, players, all the players that are going up to the tournament. Um, so going back, bringing everything together, your days walking into prisons, playing pickup on the blacktop, um, up in Potsdam through your co playing days, coaching days, now doing everything you do with the gym rat, you know, what are some, you know, being a basketball and businessman, 
What are some inspiring words for kid that you would have for kids today? I think if I were to say two things, right? And obviously, uh, as you probably figured out here, I'll, I'll talk to you all day about basketball and uh, how sports is uh, parallels life and all the lessons you can learn there. But I, I, I would say two things. Uh, one, uh, that's probably the top one, is treat other people um, the way you want to be treated. It sounds a little bit uh, corny, but it's true. Um, I found that to be an important part of building relationships at any level. Um, you know, a lot of times people want to, uh, you know, it, it may be the person that, that uh, you think you were uh, better than or above or that you didn't need to talk to on some particular day that ends up coming back around in a helpful way. And we all have people that uh, we view as being above us and unfortunately in some cases beneath us. That's uh, a bad mentality. Return everybody's phone call, return every, respond to everybody's email and text message. Uh, and that goes not only with developing relationships as an athlete and as a uh, business person, but it also goes for the recruiting process. You know, a lot of these kids, they get a, 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 a contact from a Division two or Division three coach, um, even if they might be getting some Division one feelers. The only thing that makes a scholarship player is a scholarship. So until you have that in your hands, return everybody's call because you never know the guy that's a, a coach at uh, place A one day might be a, a coach at place B the next. So, you know, treat everybody well. That would be my first thing. The second was would be stay on the grind. You know, don't – everybody wants to have uh, – you know, we, we live in a, an instant gratification society right now. Everybody wants to get to the point where they have mailbox money so they can just sit at home and, and uh, have uh, money show up in their mailbox. Real world doesn't work that way. Uh, we all have to grind. And no matter – the guys that are uh, – guys and gals that are most successful are those that no matter what level they, they get to – are always willing to learn and, and grind even more. Uh, you're going to have to deal with some adversity. The world is dealing with adversity right now with COVID-19. Um, and, and you know, adversity, we like to say, teaches, teaches people about themselves. So decide who you want to be through times like this and go be that person. And I would recommend that you be the kind of person that's, that's planning and uh, ready to stand grind, not the person that views this as a, uh, a vacation in downtime where you can – you can uh, do nothing and wait for the world to cure itself. No, that's great. It's, you know, the, the grind is where it's at. It keeps you active too. Um, you know, everything that someone does professionally, you, you want to be in that grind. And that, maybe that's our perspective, but I, I, I agree with you a hundred percent working the long hours, but working rewarding hours as well. So, you know, hopefully the kids are listening because those were some great words for them. Um, I want to thank you again, John, for, you know, hopping on the phone with me today. Um, this was awesome. I really enjoyed this conversation. And, you know, hopefully some point this summer I'm, I'm up that way at the tournament and we can connect and, you know, grab a coffee, grab a drink, whatever it may be. But thanks again for uh, hooking up with me today. Okay. Yeah, I had a great time, Drew. Happy to do it. Well, there you have it. Great conversation with John K. Mack of the Gym Rat Challenge. Basketball's been in his blood ever since he was a kid growing up playing everywhere from the courts outside up in Potsdam, Plattsburgh University, and now doing what he does with the Gym Rat Challenge. Um, kids, he left you with some inspiring words. Treat others the way you want to be treated and stay in the grind. Thanks again for listening in. Be well and take care.